Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor, and it's the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. They've just cut a huge deal with Major League Soccer to help improve sports ticketing from the ground up. They're going to be building a new ticketing system for teams that will be more fan-friendly than the sites you've been stuck with for years. Drop your old ticket app. Use one that's built for 2016. Again, you can do everything on your phone with SeatGeek. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Outdoor Voices. It's the best new sportswear out there. They've sourced the best technical fabrics in the world to produce streamlined gear that's built to last, whether you're trotting the bases at Beer League Softball or pushing the last miles of your next half marathon. Go to OutdoorVoices.com BS for 15% off your first purchase. That includes free domestic shipping, and returns. We're brought to you by the ringer.com, the ringer podcast network and my new HBO show any given Wednesday, new episode coming Wednesday night at 10 PM. Watch the first five episodes and every bonus clip on HBO now, HBO go and HBO on demand. Finally, we're selling merchandise for the ringer t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, and we're helping to raise money for our friends at CharityWater.org. The link is right on our website. Just click on merch. Shout out to Scott Harrison. All right, let's roll. Oh, old school. Friday rolling. Joe House, what's happening? Hey, it's Friday. We're rolling. Middle of the summer. Don't stop us. (laughs) Nothing to talk about and tons of stuff to talk about. Baseball trade deadline. Right. The worst golf major. um, A bunch of conventions. The dream team is coming. I don't know. Let's talk with the trade deadline first. I don't like when the trade deadline's on a Sunday for baseball. It hurts my feelings. I, I, I think they should always try I, to make it Thursday or Friday. I, I could care less. I mean, baseball uh, is not relevant to me until September these days. It's too hard to to, um, to keep track of, of all of the sports. Basketball goes all the way to June. Uh, golf now is squarely in my my targets and sights. This is the oldest. Baseball, this come, is your oldest September. rant you've ever had. I don't it's have time to follow even. baseball. I'm, it's a confession. I love this Nats team. The one thing they need to do is get rid of Jonathan Papelbon. I know. That well, mother effer. After he punched Bryce Harper last year, they should have bounced his ass anyway. He's <laughs> yeah. been terrible this year. He has the worst uh, uh, strikeout per batter faced ratio in all of the major leagues. Can't get anybody out, and that's his only job. Time to go, Papelboner. I, uh, I'm with you on not really caring about baseball until September, but I've really enjoyed, <laughs> I've really enjoyed watching the Red Sox and there's nothing else. I've, I feel like I've watched a ridiculous amount of the Red Sox because they have a very fun team with a very fun offense and it's a very atypical Red Sox team because it's not just a bunch of white dudes. It's a uh, very, di- well, it's the most diverse Red Sox team we've had. And plus the, the final Ortiz season where he's killing it. I know. Congratulations. Welcome to the 21st century, Boston Red Sox. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I let me. My, my, I also really enjoy watching this Nats team. Strasburg has been dominant this season, and Scherzer, when he gets going, 20 strikeouts already this season in a game for Scherzer. Um, I really enjoy. And Dusty Baker has been what a breath of fresh air. Washington's been lucky. We've had three great managers since the team arrived. We had Frank Robinson, Davey Johnson, and my boy uh, Dusty Baker now. And in between some some lowlights, but 
when you have a good manager, it really gives you a comfort. And you can see it, in, it, it, it carries through with the play of the guys. They play with a kind of swagger and a confidence, um, especially the young guys. It's, it's kind of like having a reliable spouse versus having a crazy spouse. It's the same kind of comfort you can see in people's eyes. When you just have a, have a nice spouse at home who takes care, to, takes care of you, loves you, has affection, that's what a manager does. Manager is just stability. Yes. It's just, just yeah. make, sure that, make sure that nothing's going to go wrong. And when you have a bad manager, that's when you appreciate the good managers. I can remember every bad manager I've ever had. You know what I mean? Like Grady Little, of Jimmy. We, I had Jimmy Williams and Grady Little back to back, and I'm still carrying the scars. I gotta say, just yeah. To not... The worst manager here here in Washington by far was was Matt Williams. Oh, Riggleman yeah, wasn't like bad. Him. He just made a bad play to get to get a contract. But uh, Matt Williams was atrocious for both of his two years, including the year that he won Manager of the Year. You have something else that that I don't have right now, which is reliable starting pitching. You've three you've yeah. three starters that every time they pitch it's pretty reasonable to expect that they're going to do well. And that's the biggest flaw with this Red Sox team right now. They made the trade for Pomerantz, who I really like and has a nice rhythm to the way he pitches. And at the same time um I I just don't see in a playoff game. I don't see him getting to the 7th inning ever. He's one of those guys yeah. that you know they have the pitch counts now. On the uh, yeah. on the side, and it'll be the third right. inning, and he'll have like fifty-seven pitches, and you'll be like, "Oh no, that's not." Yeah, great. the internet made fun of that acquisition, didn't it? They did, but it's like it, it goes back to the whole when you give up these young pitching prospects, unless it's like a Strasburg type of talent. I, I'm okay with it every time. I think where it hurt them was the pit the pitcher they gave up, Espinosa, would have been better if they were going after Chris Sale this weekend. You know, sure, sure, sure. Like he could have been the. Are they not going after Chris Sale this weekend? I think they are, but the Red Sox have these two prospects that are way above all the other prospects they have: Moncada and uh, and Benatende, outfielder and a second baseman. And I don't know. I just I I don't feel good about giving up either of those guys. It it just feels like they're well, can't look, miss it's guys. Poppy's last season. You're not going to have Poppy anymore. I know. I mean, when but, else are you going to do it? I guess my point is I don't want to pay a hundred cents on the dollar for Chris Sale. I don't know if I don't know okay. if it pushes us over the top. Also, I, I'm not positive he's a good fit for the city of Boston. He's done a couple of weird things, which which both well, of which I, I kind of res- weirdos. Yes and no. The the cutting the jersey was weird. It was just weird. <laughs> just flat out strange. <laughs> it was really funny. It was funny, I but it was also it. weird. It was like, imagine like if somebody did that in your office. It'd be like, I'm not wearing these. Just shredding them with scissors. <laughs> I, uh, I respected his the, the fact that he took a stance. And, you know, he's like, these uniforms, I'm not going to pitch well on them. Like, I told you this, and you're going to make me wear them anyway. I'm mad about this. Like, I get it. It's just strange. It's a weird way to handle it. I could see you doing that. Oh, I, I, it's a good thing you have a stylist on the show. I wish ESPN had made me wear wear weird uniforms like that. That would have affected my performance because I, I absolutely would have cut them with scissors. But that's the point. I'm not at ESPN anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. I just worry like there's certain guys that just aren't really going to work in Boston is the reality of the situation. Like, you know, Westbrook, who, who we talked about. 
if Westbrook ever came onto the table in Boston, Chris Ryan and I did a podcast for the Ringer NBA show talking about, um, you know, all the different financial options Westbrook has with his contract. And the one that makes the most sense, we both agreed, was if he signs a two-year extension where they rip up his extension this year, so he'd make he'd make an immediately he'd make nine million dollars more this season than he would have, and then he locks okay. down another year for like thirty million, and then he became become a free agent in the summer of two thousand eighteen. He'd be a ten year veteran with the same team at that point, which would enable him to get thirty five percent of the cap, so he could Whoa. sign. Yeah, so right now he get thirty, but if he stays ten years, he'd be thirty five. So he could sign for like you know five years, two hundred and forty million or whatever it is. So financially, that makes the most sense. He has the power to determine how it plays out because he could tell them right now, I don't want to stay here. I'm, I'm not staying here after this next year, and you should trade me now. Or he could say, uh, let me sign this two-year deal. Or he could say, do the James Harden extension. I'll sign for four more years. Like, who the hell knows? My point is— sure. If, if for some reason he said, I don't want to stay here, trade me to Boston, that's my best chance to win the title, he'd be the most fascinating person that went into Boston in a while who's an athlete because he has real contempt for a lot of like the first take kind of shenanigans with the press. And the Boston local press is a classic, like blow everything out of proportion, super negative. It's everything he hates. And yet at the same time, the Celtic fans would love him because he plays so hard. So he, OKC is the only place where he's going to get that protection that from the press, where they insulate them and, and, and you know hold, hold the press at bay. Boston would be the polar opposite of that. Polar opposite. Although OKC, you get the protection until you leave, and then, then you get annihilated. Then <laughs> you get retroactively murdered. <laughs> Poor Durant. So I'm interested. So you, you think the, there's a possibility that, that Russ Westbrook could not succeed in Boston because of the fit? Is that... No. Part of what you're saying? I think he'll succeed from a basketball standpoint. I think some of the off-court stuff would bother him. Huh. I, I think uh I think the way the media handles their business down there and it's something that uh it wasn't one of the top 5 reasons I wanted to move to California, but it was in the top 10. So so freaking negative. And I really wonder like the way he's wired like he was mad at me. I think he he wouldn't even look at me at the All-Star Weekend in 2014 because I ca- I'd kept bringing up the Harden trade on national TV, which seemed relevant since they traded one of the 10 best players in the league for like 30 cents of the dollar. And he he wouldn't even look at me, much less talk to me after that. Like Boston does stuff that's way worse than that. And uh, sure. I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, uh, you know, like Boston fans love KG. They love the roll up the sleeves, try 100% of the time, every minute of every game, guys. Those are the guys that always go over the best in Boston. So the fans would yeah. love him. Um, right. But I think the media would try to try to mess with him and tweak him and do things Well, the media didn't like. mess with KG, did they? What, would you mess with KG? That's the thing. Like, no, well, I like, guess <laughs> I wouldn't mess with Westbrook either. I, I wouldn't mess with either one of them. There was real fear with KG. People left KG alone. Uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe Westbrook would be able to, to, to bring that fear to the table. I don't know. Uh, Did I, you and Chris Ryan reach a consensus on what Westbrook should do? Well, here's my question. If, if you get to play with Steven Adams, Victor Oladipo, 
Sabonis's son, uh, Enos Cantor, Andre Robertson, and that's really about it. Where are you going? Are you like a six seed, seven seed? You need. I think seed? they have a move yet. I think Presti's not going to be content. I I I think that there's a a big star player that's going to arrive in OKC. And I honestly think his initials begin with B and end with G and have a lake and a riffin in, be- in between them. And I think it's the perfect destination for oh, Blake wow. Griffin. And I think OKC is going to figure out a way to get him. And all of a sudden, OKC is right back in, in the mix, assuming Blake, assuming health for everybody. But um, Interesting that, you mentioned him because I, the, the, uh, it was quietly reported this month that Matthias Testi, Blake's buddy, who who Blake ended up punching a few times, yeah. and broke his hand yeah. on his face, no longer works right. with the Clippers. Saw that, saw that news. Not 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 a Clipper employee anymore. So I don't know what that means, and my guess is that we haven't heard the last of that story, because it would seem like he's a lawsuit candidate, right? Who? Blake? Matthias Testi. You mean uh, a person, he would initiate a lawsuit? Well, he got punched by somebody who has made $20 million a year for like five years. Uh, well, were, how about this? The, the team is owned by Steve Ballmer. That's, and yes. They were, one, of the, one of the 10 richest human beings on earth. Right. So he was punched by somebody who makes 20 to $25 million a year. They were both employees for a team that's owned by somebody who's worth $10 billion a year. Um, everybody made a big deal about how they were family, all this stuff. We're going to work it out. Now the guy no longer works for the team. I don't know. My shit detector's going on. No, my I'm point sorry. is I think he got paid off. I think Bomber would take care of him. Bomber's not going to indulge you think got paid any distraction off? like a silly lawsuit. That's, that would be my theory. I don't you know. can't just lay off a guy like that who's on the receiving end of, of a punch from Blake Griffin. You can't just lay him off. How do you got to come up with some kind of financial settlement and confidentiality and all the rest of it? They can't have a distraction entering this season that emanates from from that sordid episode. They need to have their best foot forward. It needs to be about basketball there in Clipperland. How do you get Blake to Oklahoma City? I don't know if they have the assets. I, I don't know either. I, I that, that's to up, up to, to Presti. I'm just describing sort of you know a. a a hypothesis about how this could go, which um, confirms the right-headedness of a Westbrook two-year extension to just let OKC you know, buy them enough time, let Presti go do something. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they have room under the cap um, by way of, of KD leaving, right? There's some room that, that would be No, they wouldn't there. because they'd use all the cap if they were going to redo the Westbrook contract. It's the it's oh I see. and I'm sorry to keep talking about this on podcast, but it's easily the most interesting story of the NBA right now because all he has to do is say I'm not coming back, and they and they would have to trade him before the season. They they would not be able to ride oh, it sure. out. Oh sure, um, absolutely. And if he signs for another two years, which I think is how it plays out, because I think he's probably in fu mode with this Durant thing. Although he's been really quiet, he hasn't said anything. Uh, Good for him, by the way. I'm glad he's been quiet. He doesn't have to be out in public giving reactions. Yeah, and I, and I agree. And Durant's been a little too available. Well, he's on the Olympic team. He he can't not be available. Just say I don't want to talk about it. Ask nah, me something else. I don't like it. 
was one of the three best three players in the league and just, you know, um, spearheaded a seismic change in, in the balance of power. The problem with OKC is that Steven Adams is their second best player right now. And I love Steven Adams. But they lost the length of Durant and Ibaka. Defensively was how they almost beat Golden State in that in that round three because of their length and their athleticism. And they lost Ibaka and Durant. And that's just I it's just so hard to recover from. I mean, they're gonna have to play a little little smaller. But, you know, the Westbrook uh, chip on his shoulder, I'm going for the MVP and I'm shooting 30 times a game season, would be one of the most fun NBA subplots of the year. I wish he was on the Olympic team, too. I should mention that. Are what happened? S- Why isn't he on the Olympic team? I, I, some of these guys just didn't want to go. Like, the reality sure. is we, we don't have three of the four most interesting players in the league on that team. We don't have Curry, we don't have LeBron, and we don't have Westbrook. We do have Durant. Yep. But, we do. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Wait, uh, let's talk about PGA. Sure. So I ran into on the lot at the Sunset Gower Studios where all of our business is. I ran into yeah. uh, your dude Jeff Shackelford, your co-host on Shack what? House presented by Callaway. My boy Shaq. Yeah. And we were talking about how much the PGA tournament, how it's just the ugly stepchild of, of golf majors. And uh, and how it's like the Australian Open, and nobody totally understands. <laughs> that's, that's rude. I well, that's my opinion, and and you can't. It's America, and I get to say what I want. Um, All right. I don't really understand the purpose of it, the PGA tournament. I don't really get it. I don't understand. It's it's kind of the poor man's U.S. Open, and I don't understand why they haven't tried to get a little more creative with it. He was saying. We, so anyway, on your next podcast, you guys are going to try to figure out uh, what they should do with the PGA, how to make the fourth major matter. The, the PGA is fine. It does matter. It's not fine. 97 of the top no. 100 players in the world no. are at this tournament. It's not fine. It gets the best players in the world. It's huh? not fine. It's not fine. No. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's not fine. It has the best field of the four majors. I care about the U.S. Open. I care about the Masters. I care about the British Open, the Open Championship, whatever the F we call it. I don't really care about the PGA. I can't remember who's won any PGAs except for like the year. When did Tiger? He did something. I have no 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 long-term memory of the PGA. It stinks. So I think there's two explanations for that. One, it tends to occur. So, so we're, we are now competing the fourth major of the season before August, which is extraordinary, right? Unprecedented, and it's to accommodate the Olympics. Most of the time, the PGA is, is mid-August-ish. It's like the, in the first 10 to 12 to 15 days of August, and there's a full three and a half to four weeks between the Open Championship, the British Open, and the PGA. So it's, it's really easy to overlook the PGA this year because it feels like we just watched the British Open, and that's because we did. Yeah. The other thing is— So what's special about that? Is, though, Why not have it in January? Um, Why not have it in early February? Why not have it at Pebble Beach? Why can't Pebble Beach be the PGA? It, it could be. There's no reason that it couldn't be. There, there is definitely— um, been some speculation uh, and some some theorizing, some wishful thinking is probably the best way to say it, of coming up with a small rota, 
a small rotation of courses for the PGA where it goes between three or four or five different courses and, and you know, the, the real true classics. Now, that that's um, kind of the case already, although they don't make it back to, to various venues with a sufficient frequency. They, they would, the idea would be to tighten up quite a bit and to highlight. But, but Pebble already has a tournament every single year. Um, you know, the, the, the rotation you would want is something that has uh, West Coast and East Coast because um, everybody here on the East Coast loves when major tournaments are on the West Coast because we get to watch them at night. Right. It's primetime viewing for us. Um, so that that's an, an element of it. Uh, All right, hold on. So we made so well. we made some progress here. So my thing is the majors need an identity, right? The U.S. Open matters. It's the most important American tournament. The Masters matters because it's the same course every year. I know it. The British Open matters because they play it in a bunch of different courses, but all of them are dangerous and have like scary roughs and crazy sand traps, and the weather's never good, and it has an identity. My thing is the PGA. It evokes the history of golf as well. Yeah, the PGA has I mean, no golf identity. Was born. I don't know what the PGA is. So if you're telling me we're making PGA our West Coast tournament, every time we have the PGA, it's going to be in the West time zone, and it'll come on at night on the East Coast the last couple rounds, and it'll be cool. Like that. even that would be better than what we have. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, the PGA does afford the opportunity for some of the classic East Coast courses to get some exposure, too. Um, Balti being a, a fine example. Balti's hosted 16, you know, big-time events in the last 120 years. Pretty good track record of being a place where, where um, important things happen. And there are other courses here on the East Coast. I, don't, I haven't looked at the... Um, to see what the next uh, slate of courses that the PGA is going to be competed at consists of. But it was at Kiowa a few years ago, and that's a great venue for a championship like this. It was at Whistling uh, Whistling Straits in Wisconsin twice in the last 10 years because it's visually stunning and um, has produced, you know, two two great champions, uh, most recently Jason Day. Um, You know, I I do like the idea of having more prominent – PGA competition on the, on the West Coast, but I don't think it would you would want to do it at the uh, expense of getting some of the great East East Coast courses or mid mid uh, Midwest courses, you know, cut out of the the rotation. Yeah, but you just made my point. Have the U.S. Open be East Coast and South and Midwest, and then just or make make the U.S. Open East and South, and make the PGA West Coast slash Midwest. At least that would make sense. You, you, you're, you want uh, you want some some um, consistency. You want there to be a sort of a regional ownership of, of these these other channels. Well, here, here's my, here's my, there's two other ideas. One is they could just take it to some crazy country. Just go go to like Asia, and the PGA tournaments in Asia every year, or it's in Australia or wherever. That's one. Two. I've had this idea before, so I'm regurgitating it. Make the PGA the tournament. It's the fourth major. No caddies. <laughs> You're carrying your own bags. It's golf plus What's stamina. What's the point of that? I, I want to know who's in shape. You want to win, you wanna, you wanna win the Grand shape. Slam? Get in shape. I want to see Phil Mickelson. The glaring example is my boy Beef. I mean, he's the, he's the glaring uh, uh, counter to that argument. 
he's a, he's he's the, the on the other side of that spectrum. Let's go, Phil Mickelson. Andrew carry your Johnson. bag. Yeah, <laughs> let's see it. You don't like that idea? Well, part of the thing you have to convince the manufacturers because the the big point of the bags is is the, the walking advertisement, the walking advertisement they get with these huge bags with huge logos on them. What would be better than than uh, Dustin Johnson carrying his bag and the announcers being like, "Well, Dustin Johnson's laboring. I think that bag's too big for him, John." So it's not just the the carrying. You would also they'd have to figure out all the yardages and everything themselves. Yeah, you're on your own. They'd have to club selection, yardages, everything. Yeah, you're on just your own. Just like us, us regular dudes, huh? Yeah. I kind of like that part of it. Or I have to figure all that that stuff out my own self. Or they're in carts, and they, and it's the, the the twosomes are just in carts driving around the course, and the bags are in the thing, and that's it. And they're just driving around, and can then they, it's like, it's, can they drink? Can they have a couple course lights in there? See, this should be its own PGA This would make my summer more fun. You know what else makes my summer fun? House? Not Tell having me. my house get robbed? Burglars skyrocket. Oh. Yeah, burglars skyrocket over the summer. Protecting your home and family cannot wait, especially when it gets to July and August because the crooks, they drive by your house and see if your car's not there, and then they break in. That's why Simply Safe has put together a massive security arsenal for you, a special package that I approved. It's got entry sensors, motion sensors, glass break, everything you need to stop criminals from ever touching your home every day, 24-7, all year round. If a burglar so much as tries to break in, an ear-shattering siren will let him know the police are already on their way. Or let her know. I don't, I don't want to say burglars can't be females because they totally can. Uh, best of all, Simply Safe's 24-7 monitoring is just $14.99 a month. They'll never lock you in a long-term contract. You'll even get a 60-day money-back guarantee. No reason not to try today. Uh, get $100 off my hand-picked security package. Go to simplysafebill.com. The best home security deal you'll ever see. Go to simplysafebill.com. Hey, speaking of staying safe, are you watching the night of? I deliberately have stayed away. We're only three episodes in, right? You've deliberately stayed away because you don't like being in the national conversation when there's a really good show? I missed the You're first the one. You're the weirdest I, we had freaking that, person I know. No, 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 no. We, we had something going on the, the evening of the first one, and I deliberately said we just need well, – I, I only need three hours to get caught up. That's like a, you know, that's a Sunday night. I'll just sit down and watch all three of them. It's First of all, you need three and a half because the first one's 90 oh. minutes. Second of all, it's oh, a – Oh, Jesus. It's a mentally grueling show. You're not going to want to watch three and a half straight hours of the night of. It's okay. it's like you, you're going to have to break that one up. I would watch the first show first, and then I'd bang out episode two and three. Okay. After. That's, um, maybe I'll watch the t- – tonight would be a good time for the, for the, for the first episode. It's, I, I maybe mean, I'll watch it tonight. Yeah, maybe it's a good time for you to watch one of the best TV shows of the last five years. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have to talk you into this. You're saying, what's wrong wow, with you? Wow, best TV shows of the past five years. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. All right. And by the way, just because I have a show on HBO, that, that's not why I'm touting this show. It's just really good. If it, if it was on some other channel, I would still be bringing it up to you. It's a really yeah, good I show. Yeah, I deliberately, not only did I not... You know, after I knew that we were going to miss the first one, and I, I'm saving it, I'm also saving all of the social media and commentary. Haven't read one review of it. Don't know anything about it. I like to walk into a show not knowing anything. You don't know anything? Just being surprised by all of it. I don't know anything. All I know is what I've seen from the, um, 
the HBO commercials, which, you know, a crime's committed, the dude's in jail, and uh, um, the, the guy from Rounders is yelling at him not to say anything to anybody. Did you just call John Tortura the guy from Rounders? I'm pretty sure he's John Turtura. <laughs> he's called him Casey okay. Dennis Kanish. <laughs> well, he's yelling at him like that. The craziest thing about it's not this my show. Fault. I'm not wrong. Gandolfini was supposed to be in the Turturro role, and then he died. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. It's a, it's a pretty good TV what if, because if you watch this show thinking of Gandolfini in that part, it's kind of mind-blowing. But it's wow. very good. I My thing is there's so much TV on. And yet, I can't get excited about most of the TV. Everybody's Did you try any watch of this. iRobot this season? Mr. Robot? <laughs> yeah, well, iRobot, isn't that what it's called? <laughs> no, it's called Mr. <laughs> Robot. No, I, I tried the first... I know people like it. I'm not down on it. I don't want to make fun of it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. tried the first episode. It just didn't take. I, I, you know, Maybe I wasn't in the right mood for it. You mean last year or this year? I tried the first episode of season one. I wanted oh, okay. to support Christian Slater, and yeah. uh, and I watched it. I also tried the first episode of Stranger Things on Netflix, which I I liked more. Um, okay. Because it's it's kind of, I mean, it's so like if you're a child of the '80s, it's it's basically the show that made made for you. It's it feels like it was made in 1983, just with better like camera equipment, and Winona's in it. I've always, I've always, I've, I'm still in Winona's corner all these years later. Well, because you know she's a she's a first love. Yeah, Heather's right. Yeah, you never forget a first love. Lucas, Heather's, uh, Reality Bites, obviously. Right. Um, a great what if because she should have been in Godfather Three and she had to uh, bow out at the last minute because of quote-unquote heat exhaustion. Nobody knows what actually happened, but then they had to, Coppola had to put his daughter in there and it ruined the movie. Good what if. It's true. It's true. I still don't mind that movie, it happened. though. Yeah. Oh, wait. Back to the PGA. So, we're taping this Friday. I'm sure stuff's going to happen, but you really like Dustin Johnson. That was your that was your main dude oh, for this boy. one? Well, I mean, he's Who, been my a, a main dude. He's been a good horse to ride. You've had you you had three. Who were your three? I um, made full unit wagers on Dustin Johnson, Rory, and uh, Adam Scott. What's the most fun? I made half unit wagers though. Yeah. On four others. Yeah. The four guys for the half units: J.B. Holmes, not going to work out. Patrick Reed. Mm-hmm. Who is at the moment five under on his round today? Yeah, and tied for the lead. Brandon Grace, who hasn't teed off yet, but is the even par, and Ricky Fowler, who who uh, acquitted himself pretty well in an opening round yesterday. Who? And I'm not giving up on Rory yet. Rory leads the tour in second round scoring, so I, I expect a bounce back. And he he actually was great off the tee, and his iron play was fine. He could not putt to save his life. He did not have a birdie in his opening round yesterday. Dustin Johnson, is, I've already said good, my goodbyes to, to all of that capital. Oh, he didn't do well? He, he, he was seven over. Yesterday. Oh, I didn't I didn't. I thought know. that's why you brought him up. No, I don't, I don't, I don't check in with the majors until Saturday. I just I look at the leaderboard ah. and I go, yeah, I don't, well, I don't do Thursday, Friday. You're not going to see Dustin Johnson this weekend. Okay. Which means you're not going to see Paulina either. 
It's the best. The the best was when he won, and I was telling I was telling my wife, "Watch this. The Gretzky daughter is going to put on an all time performance," and she did. She she, <laughs> she, she did. had the tears going. It was great. It was it was. I haven't yeah. not since Bridget Wilson Sampras have I seen uh, a better uh, acting performance. Although I, I'm sure it was genuine too. But you just knew she was going to bring it. I like what I like when the wives get really really when they really own the camera time that they know they're getting, and she definitely does. Um, Oh, for sure. What's the most fun story um, on that would it could happen on Sunday that you would be the most excited about? What golfer being in the mix? So Spieth is having a great day today, and I think one of the cool stories the um, so far this season, each of the three majors have been won by a first-time winner, um, and the big three, which was what we entered the season with, the big three consisting of Jordan Spieth. Uh, Jason Day and I call him Jordan Spieth, yeah. Jace, Jordan, Jason, and uh, Rory have not um, really been up up to the task in the majors so far. Rory's had a couple top ten finishes. Uh, yeah. Spieth has been sort of off the map. So I would like it if if we had, uh, you know, Day, Day played well yesterday. Spieth is playing well today. If and and those two guys were in the final group at last year's PGA. Yeah. Running it back could be fun. I like that that storyline. So at I least also, if we if we uh, got, rooting for if we got go two ahead. of the, if we got two of those three, that would be that's a fun Sunday for me. Yeah, yeah. Or and Rory as well. I'm not counting out Rory. You know, his four over yesterday could be a, a five or six under. I'm really rooting for a six under today because I might have a wager on six under. Well, it wasn't over under on that one. Imagine how much fun Sunday would be if they were carrying their own bags or riding in carts together. <laughs> Imagine that house. I'm gonna talk you into this at some point. You're a whack job. Is there any old dude? Any old dude who's kind of lingering? Who's in the mix? I like when there's like the 45 year old lifer who's never really been there. Lee Westwood had a good uh, opening round. He was one under or two under, yeah. and he's one, he's been he's long, long, long been you know best to not have, win a major. He's been on that list for 20 years now. Um, so he's he's probably the best old dude. Steve Stricker also um, was decent. He's either even or one under. He's forty nine years old, and he finished. He's never uh, won, right? Second or third. He's not won a major. No. He's always kind of um, lingering four strokes back on on Sunday for like a minute. Yeah, but very solid. Um, you know, through through four. He's only, he's at, at the age where he's only playing eleven or twelve um, tournaments on tour. He's like the Eddie Richard. Moore. He's like the Richard Jefferson of the PGA Tour. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. That's the best thing about golf. You know, you could be Phil's right there. Phil's forty six, plus one yesterday. I don't like. I then we're gonna go because we had to call Jacko. I know. I know. Uh, oh, yeah, Jacko's gonna have some things to say. I know. Um, I don't like the Phil Mickelson, the snarky Phil Mickelson comments about how he always is in Who's second place. Snarky? Yeah, I, I feel like there's some snarkiness toward Phil a little bit. Oh, it's second place again. Oh, you know you're doing well, and when Phil Phil Mickelson always brings the best out of somebody else, like it, all that kind of stuff. I think Phil Mickelson's I don't awesome. Know. He shot shot 65. I'm with you in the Open I'm, Championship. That's my point. Yeah. I'm pro Phil Mickelson. I think he did everything he could have done in that day. Me too. I loved it. All right, so you're coming. That's what on, made it so good to watch. You're coming on Shack House presented by Callaway on Monday. With a recap with Jeff Yeah, we'll have a recap of the PGA. And yes, indeed. After you recap it, um, 
Can you guys figure out what the future of the PGA tournament should be? Just come up with your best option. I want to hear that. Also, we should mention, hello, friends. Jim Nance was on the on Shack House this week. Hello, my friends. He, he was. He was outstanding. He went on. He had a couple great um, takes. One take on uh, the proper use of or the proper intersection of television replay and, and the rules of golf, which, you know, somebody's got to figure out at some point Yeah. Um, after the debacles uh, at the U.S. Open and the Women's U.S. Open. The US, Women's U.S. Open was a little less uh, of a debacle. Um, but he had a great, great commentary on that. He also um, went uh, a little bit get off my lawn about Ooh. the idea of having a, a, a signature call. I asked him about the call. He had, he had, uh, done an interview earlier this year before the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, with uh, Dickie Deitch, and uh, he he had, had observed in that interview that the Devin Hester return touchdown in 2007, the Bears against uh, the Colts, yeah. might be his you know his his kind of the, the a historical call. So I started saying, well, that's it's interesting that that, that would be the one. For, he's like, oh, house, 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 house. This is not about a call. And, and then he went on a whole thing, and it was terrific. It was really, really good. About, you know, the craft is not about a signature moment. It's about the experience that you deliver over the course of, of the competition. And it's part of why I think people like him at golf. But it, it was a really good rant. Two, two great Jim Nance rants. It was a podcast for the ages. Um. <laughs> I also invited myself to play St. Andrews with him. He's never played St. Andrews. Do you and Jim Nance should be best friends? Maybe you could replace <laughs> Phil. Like that. You should. You could replace Phil Sims in his life. Uh, <laughs> Joe House, thanks as always. Enjoy the PGA this weekend. Yeah, you too. They're not going to ride in carts, though. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep out holding hope anyway. Talk to you later. Before we call Jacko, a quick break to talk about headspace. Most problems begin in your head. Stress, depression, fear, sleeplessness, they start in your mind. They worm their way for the rest of your life. Do you know you can change that in just 10 minutes a day with meditation? That's where the Headspace app comes in. Headspace is meditation made simple. There's a mountain of science showing the positive effects of mindfulness. The Headspace app provides guided meditations you can use whenever you want, wherever you want, on your phone, computer, or tablet. Their sessions focus on everything from dealing with stress and depression to helping you eat more mindfully, or even to get you to sleep easier. It's 1% of your day that can change the other 99%. Download the Headspace app and start your journey toward a happier, healthier life. Learn more at headspace.com slash BS. Headspace.com slash BS. Also, our buddies at FrameBridge are the ones who frame nearly every poster in my office, as well as a couple on our Any Given Wednesday site. We did a Facebook Live with... uh, Chris Ryan on Wednesday and there was a big Doobie Brothers poster behind us that a couple people were emailing me about. Uh, 48 by 48. Not an easy poster to frame. They crushed it. Framebridge is amazing. Go to framebridge.com. Pick out your frame. Let their designers help you choose. They can send you a prepaid package to ship your item safely. You can simply upload a digital picture on the Framebridge site or app. You can even send them an Instagram picture. They can frame that. They have experts that will custom frame your items in days. Not weeks, not months, days. Deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. That's why InStyle called FrameBridge the genius site that makes custom framing easy. They even offer a happiness guarantee. Instead of the hundreds you'll pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39, all shipping free. And the TLC they put in their framing and packaging is incredible. It's one of my favorite companies. 
Um, I am a FrameBridge groupie, as I've said many times. Their prices start at $39. Again, all shipping free. Go to FrameBridge.com. Use promo code BS. You get 15% off your first order. FrameBridge.com. And now we're calling Jacko. On the line, as promised, our friend Jacko. He was on twice last week during the uh, insane Republican National Convention. <laughs> and we promised him equal time. We have equal time here in the BS podcast. We promised him equal time this week. He's a diehard Republican, lifelong Yankee fan. I have no idea how we're friends, but we've been friends since 1988, September. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> roommates, we've seen each other naked. Uh, it's been a lot, of, a lot of laughs, a lot of debauchery. And, and now uh, one of the most important moments of, of our friendship where I get to give him equal time to talk about the DNC. Wow. Uh, yeah, there you go. How about that intro? Wow, that's really quite something. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts? What was your takeaway? Well, actually, I watched a lot more of the, uh, the DNC than I expected to. And I guess just being a political junkie, I got kind of sucked into it. I, I knew I had to do, had to do yeoman's work of watching Hillary's speech last night because you told everyone last week you were going to call me so I could do a you know recap of what I saw. So I, I forced myself to watch it last night. But I watched a lot of it, and I mean – you know, you have to. I disagree with the Democrats vehemently, but you have to applaud their, uh, you know, their conventioneering skills because, unlike the shit show that we witnessed last week, I mean, that's what a professional a convention that is well run and well organized and hits the themes that one wants to hit and uses a convention as what it should be, which is essentially a you know a free TV commercial for your party and your candidate. I mean, they hit all the themes they wanted to hit in terms of you know basically wrapping themselves in the flag and patriotism and optimism and, you know, Ronald Reagan's morning in America, you know, keeping the Bernie bros at, at bay to the best that they could, you know, doing something to to reach out to disaffected Republicans that aren't Trumpians. And, and they did it all without Scott Bay or Antonio Sabato Jr. So really kudos for that. Yeah. So the most interesting thing I read on Twitter, um, <laughs> which, which is a rare statement in itself. Yeah, right. I, and I forget who said it, but somebody was saying, like, if you're an 18-year-old kid and you watch both of mm. those conventions, why would you gravitate yeah. toward the Republicans? And I think, like, regardless of how this election turns out, that's got to be the most interesting dilemma slash question slash whatever that the Republicans have to be thinking about going forward because, you know, you, you're trying to build future generations. Like, it, it, right. 16-year-old Jacko, if you didn't have your dad as like such a diehard Republican and you're just right. watching both those conventions, you would end up gravitating toward the one that seemed like it was well-run. I mean, this is, you know, there's a whole litany of, of regrets and, and recriminations to follow. But one of the things with the Republicans is, you know, I was an unabashed Rubio guy, but, you know, Rubio is like our age, basically. He's like, I think he's like 46 or 40, 45 or 46. Cruz is young, too, but he seems older. But like if you run Rubio as a nominee, right? He's a new, fresh face. So if you're like an 18-year-old or a millennial or whatever, and you may, maybe you're not fully on board with the Republican platform, certainly, but you look at this fresh-faced guy, you know, it's a it's a new generation going forward versus Hillary, who's been on the public stage for the past 25 years that you right. may have grown up with as an you know as a as a teen as a 20-something. It's the, the the there may be an inclination to go with the fresh face as opposed to the to the to the retread that you've seen forever, especially in a you know allegedly a change election where the polls say that, you know, 70% don't like the direction of the country, I think the way things are going. So, to the, but then when you give the, the opponent to that, the status quo is Donald Trump, 
you know, which is just to put a freaking brain damaged lunatic game show host in the Oval Office. It's it's asinine. And you look at the two conventions and you know, you have all the crazy Trump people that were delegates and they're screaming lock her up and you know, I don't take to my fainting couch about that, but just viewing that versus you know, waving American flags and America's great and it's always been great and it's going to continue to be great and get better. I mean, you know, which one would you gravitate to? That's exactly right. I mean, it's just such a such a disaster. Reagan was your favorite politician of all time. And they, yes. they played the Reagan playbook a little bit at the DNC. They totally did. That had to hurt a little bit. And the, fun, the amazing thing is, I mean, they had this guy, I didn't, I caught the tail end of it, but they had this general last night, General Allen, who came out, and I guess he was, you know, in charge of, he was involved in Iraq or Afghanistan, I forget which one, but a military leader, and they have all these veterans and heroes and Medal of Honor winners, and when the, you know, some of the Bernie folks started to say no more war, and they were drowned out by USA chants at the Democratic Convention. Yeah. Like, waving USA signs, cheering a general, saying, like, you know, mark our words, we're going to go get you dead or alive, or whatever he said, like this, you know saber-rattling, militaristic, full-throated defense of American patriotism and nationalism and exuberant foreign policy. And then you have Trump saying, like, we suck, we never win, we're awful. It's like, you know, <laughs> two parties flipped. It's just, it's hard to, poor Reagan is probably spinning in his grave right now to see, like, what the hell's going on. Do you think they duct tape Trump to a sofa last night during Hillary's <laughs> speech and put his phone out of his reach? They had to. I thought the whole convention, you could, you know, and it was funny because I went to bed right after Hillary's speech, but then I woke up this morning and I was looking on Twitter. And so the first couple responses from Trump were, were grammatically correct yeah. and didn't have any, didn't call her crooked Hillary or didn't, you know, use any pejoratives. So there, obviously those are written by campaign people like Manafort or, or some other flunky who, who's in charge of things. And then I saw later tweets where he's, you know, he, today he was going to, you know, he's going after Bloomberg and calling him little Bloom, little Mike Bloomberg or something, didn't have the guts to run. So you could see that he obviously got his phone back, but he definitely was in a straight jacket and they keep the phone away from him because you can always tell when he tweets and you know he was sitting there like venting to tweet, definitely. It, it would have been... Almost funnier and more self-aware of during the speech, he'd actually, they had duct taped him to a chair and they took a picture of him duct taped to a chair and just right. tweeted that out. It actually would have yeah. been funny. Right. He could have stolen the night with that. Yeah. One of the weirdest hours on YouTube right now, and that's really saying something, is the uh, Donald Trump roast from five years ago. Oh, yeah. From from uh, Comedy Central. Yeah. And Jeff, Ro Jeff Ross roasts him. And is making fun of him in all these different ways. And Trump like has a, actually had a sense of humor about it. And really? was kind of rolling with it and playing off and stuff like that. And that, that's, I mean, he's had a million issues in this whole election cycle. But the one thing is just a lack of sense of humor about himself, I think is the strangest thing. Well, we may have talked about it last week, but there was an article I read, and it was, I can't remember where it was now, but I think it was from this writer, McKay Coppins, who who wrote about all the, like, he blames himself to some degree for Trump because he had spent some time with him and written a critical column about it, and then it turns out that Trump was like, you know, how dare he criticize me? I'll show him I'll run for president. And there was a long litany of people in there, and one of the anecdotes that was mentioned was after Trump did his 
crazy birth certificate thing about the president, and he he went to the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner, and that Obama, I guess, and his people had talked to Judd Apatow or something, and that they had all these zingers for Trump, and it basically like you know Obama was like, you know, they said, do you think this is too far? And Obama was like, no, we're we're going for it. Right. So basically, like tore Trump down to his face, and it said like he just sat there and like didn't re- didn't really laugh, he didn't smile, he didn't play along, and then he like sort of huffed out of the room. And it was like you that was know, it. further further bred his inferiority complex. So it was like I'll show them, I'll run for president. Right. So I think you know it's funny to say you say that in this roast that he actually had sort of a self-deprecating humor or laughed along with it. Maybe he was drugged up or something. But at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it said it was like noticeable that he didn't like Obama cutting him down and talking about his repeated failings. So it was one more chip on Donnie's shoulder. Did you see Obama's speech? I saw most of it. Yes, I saw most of it. I didn't see the whole thing, but I because I, I'm old and it was late. But I did see most of it. Okay, so you're you know obviously not an Obama fan, right? When you no, see, no, I mean he's an amazing speaker okay. though, and I mean there's very few politicians that can come. I mean it's hard to command. I've never spoken to a you know auditorium full of. 50,000 people or 20,000 whatever seats in in Philadelphia but there's very few people that can command a big room like that it's hard to do and you could see it with other speakers like yeah. you know other speakers this week Tim Kaine was just I uh, just uh, objectively terrible you yeah. know but Obama there's very few politicians <clears throat> certainly in our lifetime that can are able to hold a room like that and you know know when to raise your voice and when to modulate it so people have to listen in I mean you know that that whole room was like you know of course that's preaching to the choir but that whole room was hanging on his every word and there's very few politicians who are as good at good at it as he is you know it's, it's th- his strongest strength really i think he's he's got to be one of the best speakers i've ever ever seen if not at the top because as you said like there's little tricks that he does he's always in command the pauses that he takes or like sometimes the crowd will start cheering and almost everybody else stops talking when the crowd starts cheering and sometimes right. he's like a pastor where he'll 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 hear the noise building and he'll raise his voice to kind of match it. Right. And uh and then the sense of humor part and the ability to ad lib, I, I just think like it's basically him and the rock, I think are the two <laughs> best public speakers. <laughs> it's like watching you the know, rock kind of WWE too. promo. You know who else is good is Biden. I mean Biden's Biden like is an old time like backslapping Paul, you know, and and he, the room loves him too, and and you know he knows how to do it too, and you know he did the same thing in terms of like he owned that crowd. And, I mean, there's many other speakers of the ones I watched, you know, that they didn't own the crowd, and it's it's no. hard to do. I mean, I don't I don't think Hillary is a particularly good speaker. No, she's you not. Know? And I'm not being sexist or, or partisan because I, I, Michelle Obama was wonderful at it too. But but Hillary she is, is just, fantastic. You know, I didn't think Chelsea was very good. She may have Chelsea may have many wonderful qualities, but her droning, like affectless speech last night was really like brutal to watch. I mean, it's great that she loves her mother and that's all well and good, but her her delivery was terrible. I mean, and you know, she obviously inherited that from Hillary versus from Bill because Bill is another one that can control the room and yeah, and is you know great natural Paul. Well, was I'm not sure if he is anymore. It might be time for us to have a might be time to have a national conversation about Bill Clinton. Some bad looks on him last night, just like sitting there, like with his mouth open and like nodding off, seem- yeah, he, seemingly. And, they got to work on him with the keeping the mouth open thing, because a couple of times it looked like he should have just had a like he should have been in a blanket. 
Yeah, exactly. He just didn't look well at different times, and it's but like. But then other times he'd look awesome, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I don't know. I don't. I don't even want to know what's going on there. But yeah, like, he's old. Um, yeah, I guess so. A lot, of living, a lot of living in those years. I thought best speakers, Obama won. I think Biden was great. I thought uh, Obama's wife was great, and Antonio Sabato Jr. I think that was the top four. <laughs> But Sabato had some great moments. <laughs> but, you know, Clinton, Clinton, you know, went on way too long. It was like it was like a dad at at his daughter's wedding who had paid for everything and had a couple of drinks and was just like, ah, oh, you guys are all here. You're going to have to listen to me now. Oh, yeah. But he had one moment in that speech that really would have gone over well and I think would have been great for him. And I think would have really ignited the crowd in a good way. He was talking about how just dogged Hillary is and how she doesn't quit and she's she's going to turn every stone. And he had this whole riff about it. And right at the end, all he had to do was say, you know who else she didn't quit on? Me. And the crowd would have gone fucking ape shit. And they, would have, they just would have loved it. And he would have at least acknowledged that they had probably the most public marital difficulties of any famous couple ever. It's just to, to talk and talk and talk about their marriage and their relationship and all this stuff and not mention that he embarrassed her in the worst possible way. Yeah. All well, I mean, is one he, sentence. I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to touch. I mean, there's a, obviously it's an enormous elephant in the room and everybody in the place and everybody watching knows it. Yeah. I was thinking about that this morning when I was thinking back about last night and I'm like, if that was me, like to my wife, right, and uh, you would, and we were caught in that way, had done yeah. that, and were caught, and the whole country knew it, and like to sit there, like I couldn't even imagine like sitting in my house with like the scorn of my wife looking at me. I know. And he does that with the whole country knowing it. It's amazing. And she, you know, she gives a speech and said, "Oh, you talked about our conversation, and we continued that conversation. It's complete horseshit." You know, they're this wonderful couple. I mean, give me a freaking break. But to sit there, like, just so completely, like, shameless. And just be like, oh, great job, honey. I love you. Like, come on. I mean, I, I don't know how I could sit there. I would be so mortified. That's the thing. If he had just had one line, he yeah, addresses I mean, it. It's great. It shows a lot of character on his part, the whole thing. I think he should have done it. She did something about, you know, we've been together in good time, high times and low times or something or whatever. And it's like, you know, she she tried to get past that as quickly as possible. But it's just, it's just so oddly awkward. It's we- crazy. We've had some trials and tribulations. <laughs> yeah, her her emphasis on words and like what she you know emphasizes and what she what which words she stretches out. It's just you know people have different talents. And I don't think that public speaking is really one of hers. You know, I uh, we will remember Obama as a wonderful order. I'm not sure we're going to remember Hillary as a wonderful speaker. Yeah, and you could argue that that's like. Uh... You know, that's like the cherry and the hot fudge Sunday of that job. Ultimately, the Sunday, I guess, is what matters. Most people aren't speaking. Reagan was a really good speaker. Right. Um, JFK. I mean, you know, uh, Tim Kaine, you know, and they'd him doing that Trump impersonation. And it's yeah, like, that's rough. If you're, if you're not naturally funny or that's not your shtick, like, you don't have to try to do that, you know? And, like, I didn't even really mind the Spanish, but he kind of overdid it. And he's like, listo, red means ready. It was like, <laughs> it was like ninth grade Spanish tape. Tim Kaine, I, I, I love everybody was gushing about him. Tim Kaine, <laughs> he's the greatest guy I've ever saw. A family was trapped under a truck, and Tim Kaine lifted yeah. the truck up with his bare hands. 
Yeah, just, I mean, and, you know, the Republican vice president, this guy Mike Pence, who was the governor of Indiana, and he's like totally milquetoast too. So, yeah. like, you know, that, that Mike that uh, Mike Pence-Tim Kaine debate, boy, whew, get your tickets. That's going to be a great <laughs> one. a good one. They, yeah, they <laughs> definitely schedule that against a major sporting event. <laughs> uh, Put that against Game 7 of the World Series. God. I was thinking Ugh. during the Biden speech that he's the great what if in the Democratic Party, I think, of the last 30 years. Because oh, absolutely. our generation, like we're in college, like Joe Biden plagiarist. Just like write him off. They didn't even think twice. Right. Like there's no way. That plagiarism thing was a huge deal in the 80s. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, it just seemed like it was a career ender. And uh, and now you look at him and just it seems like everybody loves him. Like I've never heard a president rave about a vice president like Obama raves about Biden. And yeah, Reagan and Bush were a little bit like that yeah, too. I guess yeah, they Obama were. yeah, you're Biden, right. You're Obama right. and Biden even more. And I mean, the shame from Biden's perspective, and really, it's an awful thing that his son, you know, yeah. he's obviously a very close with his family, and his son died of cancer, and had his son not gotten sick and not died. I don't think there's any doubt that Biden would have run. I mean, he had think yeah. he was dying to run. And um, that, you know, obviously going through that, he can't even imagine it. So he couldn't, you know, mount a presidential campaign. Totally understandable. But I think he would have wiped the floor with Hillary myself in primaries. I did too. I agree. And I think he'd, he'd be, be, you know, he'd already be basically you know, measuring the Oval Office for carpet and choosing it because he'd be beating Trump by 10, 15 points. It wouldn't even be close. I still think Trump can win. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting. Like I said earlier, these right track, wrong track numbers that, you know, some overwhelming majority of people think the country's on the wrong track. So if you, yeah. if you really believe it's on the wrong track, why are you going to vote for basically Obama's third term with Hillary, right? Yeah. And, and Trump does have this appeal to these people that have been left behind by the new economy and, and the Rust Belt. And, you know, maybe in Pennsylvania, if he gets enough you know, enough blue collar, white, non-college educated voters in Pennsylvania to swing Pennsylvania. That's a, I'm dubious of that, but were he to do that, that would be enormous for him. What's your goal for the Yankees trade deadline? Um, I would like them to trade Andrew Miller if they could get an enormous haul of prospects. I'm very happy to see that Papelbon blew up again uh, last night and had to be taken out in the ninth inning. And he's he didn't blow the save last night, but they took him out before he could blow it. Yeah. And now that the Cubs have gone to get Chapman, I would like to see the Nationals say, "Here, please take all of our prospects because we want to make a run, and we need a closer." And and the haul for Miller is going to be higher than Chapman because he's under contract through 2018. And he doesn't have so, he doesn't I mean, have those series of domestic violence stories that accompany the Chapman acquisition. Right. Good guy on and off the field. Yeah. So I would I think it's time to sell and get younger and and get hope for the future. I'm already all in on on Glebar Torres that they got for Chapman. So I'd like to be in on some more prospects because even though they've been okay, they've been decent since the All Star break. I mean, the reality is you know they just don't have a team to really go anywhere. So what's the point of getting in and you know, getting into the one-game wild card, which they're still five or six games out of, I, I'd rather build for the future. I vote build for the future, and it gives us more time to devote to A. Rod's farewell season. <laughs> yeah, well, really, there's really a lot of rumors here. that they might just eat that contract and just waive him if they were sellers. But Ooh. yeah, there was talk that they, there was rumors about that they might just say goodbye to Teixeira and goodbye to A. Rod. Now Teixeira's contract is up this year, so you know, it's not as much to eat. But A. Rod has a lot of money still to eat. You know who they should trade him to? Fox. 
We need a rod oh. for the stretch run. Just get get a rod on TV. It's over. Baseball's <laughs> yeah, it's done. Good. He's awesome on TV. Get him on TV. He really is. Get it. Make the move. A rod should just retire. All right, Jacko. Uh, All fun, right. Fun recap. Enjoy the weekend. You're the best. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. Picture me, Thanks again to Simply Safe. Remember, burglaries skyrocket over the summer. Simply Safe created a phenomenal security package with entry sensors, motion sensors, and glass break, and everything else you need to stop burglars from getting into your home. Get $100 off that package by going to simplysafebill.com. Thanks to Headspace. Change your life in just 10 minutes a day with the Headspace app. They give you guided meditations you can use whenever you want. Focus on sleeping, eating, stress, depression. They can make anything work. Download the Headspace app and start your journey toward a happier, healthier life. Learn more at headspace.com slash BS. Don't forget to check out TheRinger.com. Some terrific pieces this week about the NFL, Jason Bourne, the conventions, the World Series of Poker, uh, and especially weird Shea Serrano week in a good way. A lot of good stuff. Don't forget about our other seven podcast feeds on the Ringer Podcast Network, including Favreau and Pfeiffer at Keeping It 1600. Favreau is involved in Obama's speech. So listen to that podcast. They've been breaking down the conventions all month. My new NBA show, Any Given Wednesday, returns August 3rd, 10 p.m. on HBO. Check out our new splash page on HBO Now and HBO Go. That includes every episode and every bonus clip we've done, including last week's show with Danny McBride, Christina Hendricks, Michael K. Williams. And Michael Rappaport, who I defeated in our fake deflate trial. Thank you, Judge Joe Brown. Uh, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on the BS Podcast.